Hello, one and all, and welcome to the very first edition of the Extended Mayhem 40K podcast, where, well, a person that knows nothing about Warhammer 40K learns everything about Warhammer 40K from a guy that already knows everything about Warhammer 40K. I am, well, that person that doesn't know very much about the, the series, and uh, my name is Wendy, or Mina, or Melinda, depending on who you ask and where you are. Uh, if you like the podcast, however, if you don't like the podcast, my name is Cindy. But anyways, let's not take too long. Here is my co-host, William. Oh, hello there. We will be learning all about Warhammer 40K because, well, it is the best sci-fi universe out there. Just compare the ships. If you look at Star Trek and Star Wars, that age-old enemy and battle can be solved by a single Warhammer vessel just flying straight in, and then we see who's the best. Really? Like, could, could, could like, a Warhammer 40k vessel, like, beat the Death Star? Oh, easily, because, you know, it's just kind of floating there, and the Warhammer 40k vessel's literally built to, well, ram straight through it. That's what the nice, big, arrow-shaped prowls are for. That's actually, that's actually pretty badass. See, I'm already learning. This is great. I already know that, like... Sorry, I, I love you Star Wars and Star Trek, but apparently 40k is just that much more overpowered. <laughs> Anyways, so what essentially we're going to be doing is, like I said before, we're going to be, well, I am somebody that's brand new to Warhammer 40k. I've been a miniature painter for about two to two and a half years right now, but I never really got into any of the games. So my friend Will has kindly volunteered himself to teach me the ropes of not only the game, the miniature painting, but the lore as well. And I'm hoping that maybe we can all learn something, like today, or at least, you know, get all of our fangirly giggles out. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I, I like, the well, anyways, guys, the book today that we read is uh, The Unremembered Empire, and man, I have, like, Gilliman feels. There will be spoilers. There will be, yes. We're going to be going through the book. Pretty much we're going to be giving you a bit of a summary, a bit of a play-by-play. -play, and, you know, th there is going to be a lot of spoilers. So if you are not, if you want to discover these things for yourself or you're not into, like, spoilerinos, then, you know, pause the podcast, go read the book for yourself, do whatever you need to do so that you don't feel like you're going to be spoiled because we're going to be going through it all in this podcast. But like I said, uh, I have the, I actually have the Unremembered Empire uh, novel thing up on the 40k wiki. And I've listened to it enough times to basically memorize it. So it is by author Dan Ab Abnett. Is that how you say it? Dan Abnett, yeah, one of the best authors. Yeah, he's, okay, so he's really good. It was pu it was published on October 2013, and it was, it's part of the Horus Heresy series. So, uh, yeah, it was 2013 hardcover, 2014 softcover. That's kind of useless for everybody. Oh, yeah, and we've also got, we've also got uh, some guest stars today. Forgot to mention them. We've got Chase. And we've got your cat, whose name I always forget, even Lucy. though Lucy, even though she's a cute little, I'm sorry, Lucy, I forgot your name. I forget everybody's name. She's okay with it. She's a cat. So basically, this is, in general, this book covers uh, Gilliman on Ultra, on, uh, the planet is Ultramar, right? Or McCrag. Well, McCrag. What we're looking at here is Gilliman is just getting back, for the most part, from the betrayal at Kalth. Now, that's a different spoiler event, and we'll go over that later. However, he is currently residing on McCrag, trying to pull together everything he can to save the Imperium, because the Realm of Ultramar, which is an empire within an empire of about 500 worlds within the greater Imperium itself, that Gilliman himself rules personally. Now, yeah, he, these... got, he inherited it from his dad, yeah. his adoptive dad. Yes, he kind of took it back over because it was just like a couple of planets to begin with. Mm -hmm. And from the original 500, it's convoluted. So, okay, keep going, keep going, because I've already got questions to ask. Oh, boy. Um, and due to events after, directly after Kalth, the 500 worlds are currently cut off from the Imperium as a whole, 
And as far as Gilliman knows, the entire Imperium has been torn down by his heretical brothers. Yeah, he's got, he's got like, real family issues. Like, you know, I thought that my aunt was crazy. Like, I, at least she doesn't, like, you know, try to kill my grandpa and destroy universes. Or, not universes, but, you know, yeah, planets. Well, they'll probably eventually, if, if left unchecked, I feel like Horace would probably do that. Even though I've, like, never, well, not, I want to say met the guy because he's fictional, but, like, never read something directly about him. Well, then again, you've also got to remember their Thanksgiving dinners could probably make a reality TV show in and of itself. Oh, yes. I, I actually was talking to you the other day about the two alternate titles I have for this book. One is Gilliman Really Wants a Hug But Never Gets It. And the other one is Typical Family Reunion, Space Edition. So, like, we start out and some of the very first things that we see are basically, like, it starts off almost like, you know, a horror novel. It's, like, spooky. There's, like, these ghosts. Well, apparently it's what seems to be ghosts, as we soon find out. Like, it's what seems to be ghosts, like, haunting the, uh, like, essentially the... Citadel of Yes. Which is basically, basically like, Gilman's, like, house, right? Yeah, basically the uh, Castrum. It's a big, giant fortress for the entire Ultramarines Legion. That's pretty dope. So he's, and, like, from what I can tell, he's got his, like, own little house and shit, like, well, not little, I mean. Well, huge. Huge in both scale and probably layout. Because if there's one thing that they make very sure you know, it's that uh, the Primarchs and the... Uh, and the Adeptus Astartes, who are the, are the uh, you know, famous space marines, they are giants. Like, they are, like, eight feet tall and shit. And then the Primarchs are even taller, which I thought, like, that that leads to unrelenting comedy for me. Because, like, now I'm imagining these these huge guys trying to get into normal cars. And they are, they're, like, all pushed up against it, like Mr. Incredible. It's the best thought in the world. Like... This series lends itself to comedy in so many uh, unintended ways. But the very first thing I noticed when we were we started talking about Gilliman was uh, I just wrote this down in my notes. It's really really stupid, but like his name is Rabute, and my brother's name is Robert, and I'm pretty sure I've called him Rabute before as like a joke. So I'm probably gonna call him that more because he actually is a bodybuilder, and he'd probably you know appreciate being. Sharing a name with a space god, and the, uh, the the second thing that I actually noticed was this series. Like it has like this uh, kind of like kind of uh, reputation for being very grim dark, and the the term grim dark. I think it was actually founded by. The in the grim dark future of 40k, I think wasn't that like the actual? Yeah, it, that was, it was the original. Yeah, the grim dark future. Yeah, even though only war. Oh. He, even though like you know that's what they say, they're like, oh, this is a grim dark future. I I actually didn't really get a lot of that. Well, with the Unremembered Empire, it's actually a little bit unique. The entire Horus Heresy is technically the prequel to Warhammer 40k. It takes place 30,000 years in the future rather than 40. Now. Most of the books detail either the events leading up to the Great Betrayal or the events directly after. Now, I believe they're up to like 70-some books, and they're only about like two-thirds of the way through, but that's neither here nor there. Most of them will, however, oversee events that, well, really, really suck, because you do feel for these characters, because even though they are greater than human, they still have human qualities, and the number one thing among all of them that you see that leads to their fall is pride. And it's just so sad, because they are supposed to be the best of us. Now, the Unremembered Empire is different in the fact that Gilliman's pulling it all back together and shoring up the Imperium on the 500 worlds, and Imperium Secundus, as he calls it very many times, which, loosely translated, would basically mean the Second Imperium. Oh, that's, that's actually, like, I was wondering what it was, like, what it actually, was, like, translated to, because, like, it's very obvious that, like, a lot of this has, uh, like, bastardized a lot of... Bastardized Latin. Bastardized, like, you know, almost pig Latin. 
Not pig Latin, not that crazy. I mean, just straight Latin for the most part. Um, but he tends to kind of sort of make his way towards getting Ultramar back together. I mean, there are still, among the Primus worlds, mostly it's, you know, back to the Golden Empire. But on the fringes, there's still war and just complete lawlessness because there are still traitor legions out there trying to bring it down. Oh, okay. So but that's other books. Yeah, that's other books. So this is basically like, like a little bright spot in the series. So, and, and like, I know they keep complimenting this and instead of like, you know, paying attention to like the plot of it, which, you know, we'll get to the, we'll tell you more about the plot in a second, but like, I just really wanted to compliment, um, you know, the, uh, Mr. Abbott. Well, yeah, I wanted to. Well, I wanted to compliment him and his writing because he basically he 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 writes a book that's part of like this huge, like you said, seventy part series right now, and it doesn't feel like you have. It doesn't rely on a bunch of knowledge that you would get in other books. It basically it tells you what you need to know, and you can kind of infer the rest. So I I just wanted to like you know say that that was a really really good, like really good move by him because I feel like I was welcomed into the series by obviously William but uh just by the book itself all right so next in the book we find out that it's not a spooky ghost it's actually a guy in iron armor well I mean Mark Iron Which Mark Iron what second or third Mark it's too early in the morning yeah <laughs> It, guys, it is uh, 12 p.m. actually, too early in the morning. But anyways, like I was saying, I I thought that this was actually pretty cool because it's like the ghostly apparitions that people were seeing was technically, okay, this actually sounds really crazy, but okay, so imagine there's this planet and this planet has like a big stupid uh, like light on it and it's like a beacon and it can shine itself to like other worlds and shit but you got to tune it and then when you tune it right like you can also talk to people pretty much instantly like throughout the galaxy well is that about right not really i mean the the apparition is actually an empathic holographic projection of dantioch a former lord of the iron warriors who turned traitor but dantioch ended up staying loyal and he found Gilliman, and Gilliman was like hey you're great at siege works help me out with this let's uh shore up the defenses and put him in charge of what's called the Pharos, which is a giant mountain, essentially, that is also a piece of technology that can fix itself, that's been around since, well, we look upon the Eldar, the, I'm sorry, they are now called the Eldari, as one of the oldest races in the 40k universe. However, they were merely, well, and I quote, slave children to the old ones, which all that they really know about them in 40k is that they were, their skin was cold and scaled. Other than that, everything else is conjectured. Really, if you want to think about it, take a look at the uh, lizard men from Warhammer. It's basically the old ones. Yeah, Warhammer, it's, it's uh, Warhammer Fantasy, Warhammer Age of Sigmar. I don't know what the proper term is these no days. Cares. It's dead. <laughs> I don't think so. I think it's, I still think uh, the minis are super fun to paint. I'm just joking. That was actually, uh, I'll, I'll tell you guys later, but that was actually, well, I'll tell you guys right now. Never mind. Apparently, like, that was my personal introduction into Warhammer and GW stuff in general was my very first mini set was a set of vampire knights or vampire lords. I can't remember, but it was, uh, you know, the, the skeletons riding the skeletal horses. And like, that was my very first mini set. I always have like a soft spot for, uh, for Age of Sigmar and Warhammer Fantasy. So, and so anyways, to get back on track. Yes. So the Pharos. So yes. it is technically rather than the psychic devices that the Imperium and other races of the galaxy at large use, it is an empathic system, which technically kind of bypasses the warp and you can use it to, all right. So the warp is essentially a dimension parallel to ours in which the Imperium uses to travel great distances that would normally take generations in a matter of weeks to months. Now, what's weird about it, I mean, essentially you're traveling through hell. 
I, I, I just assumed that it was MC or not MC Usher's mind could be MC Usher's mind, but I was like, is this just HR Geiger drawings? No, it's actually technically through hell. It is the sea of souls in the warp. It, there aren't actually anything but us. It is made of souls as water is made out of hydrogen and oxygen atoms. It's an odd concept, but really cool. Now, normally the only way to travel through the warp reliably for humans is to follow the Astronomicon, which is basically like following the Northern Star. Just instead of a Northern Star, it's the psychic amalgamation of power from a bunch of different psychers that the, the Emperor basically uses to project through the warp as a guiding point. Yeah, and now, like in the story, it was mentioned that this, uh, that this had fallen, and well, there were people literally stuck in the warp. Due to the ruin storm that cut off the 500 worlds from the rest of the Imperium, that's, it kind of like blocked it out. Basically, it's a big giant storm, so you can't see the stars. Yeah, so like, basically like the nature of the storm is like... The veil of reality fell and you can now see the warp from real space. Okay, okay, because I was about to say, well, if it's a parallel dimension, does, is it like a tear in it, or? Yeah, Okay, much. cool, so it's just like a tear to this neighboring dimension. Yes. Logar went on another tamper tantrum. Sorry. I don't know him. who Logar is. Yeah, he's a bastard, but um, he essentially went on another temper tantrum and tore down the curtain in between reality and the warp because he's a little shit. But, yes, I actually hate him. Continuing on. <laughs> <laughs> Continuing on. What the empathic system essentially does is you can tune it kind of like a lantern or a, a uh, fog light or lighthouse, whatever, and illuminate McCrag as a point that you can see throughout the warp. You can't see from the other side of the ruin storm, but on the side of the 500 worlds, you'll be able to use it like everyone else used the Astronomicon before the storm. Now, it is also mentioned that, well, theorized, that the Pharos used to be one of a number of systems used throughout the galaxy as range-finding points rather than a single point. And that might have even allowed for site-to-site -site te teleportation on a scale that they have never imagined before. Essentially interplanetary rather than just, you know, a couple thousand kilometers. That's actually pretty badass. Yeah, and if you, if, as long as GW doesn't change the lore much more, the Necron actually still have a limited access to some of these devices. Because, actually, I think that they were created by the Necrons, not the old ones. Uh-oh. Or it could have been... There's somebody using a toilet upstairs, I think. No, that's just from the sink. Oh, okay. Hot shield. We've got a... Like I said, we've got a uh, special guest, the dog. Yeah, a little Bichon freeze. A little puffball. I still... I actually mentioned this to William the other day. Like, they should just get... They should make, like, some scale, like, you know, some little, like like space wolf armor put it on him and then get like a uh like a ken doll or something and then put him on put put the ken doll like dress it up in like armor and then put it on the dog and let him run around for halloween speaking of space wolves the when mccrag is illuminated it draws a lot of different people out of the oh warp. yeah a lot lots of like real fun characters just like come out of nowhere now you've got the boring people who are you know humans you know boring they, you know, bring supplies and whatnot to sustain the That's kind of racist, dude. Ah, who cares? It's all the same race, technically. It's all the human race. Yeah. Just because they're post-human doesn't make them not human. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and then you've got representatives from all the Shattered Legions. Uh, different spoilers, but that's a different story. Yeah, so a bunch of, like, these different legions, like, come in. and You've got basically every single one of the loyal legions, for the most part, showing up. Yeah, which that was very convenient that only the the good guys showed up instead oh, no, of lots of the bad guys show up. Oh no! Well, you know what happened? Yeah, I I do know what happened, and we're gonna get to that in a second. But more bad guys show up. Most notably, you've got Alexis Pollux of the Imperial Fists, who actually has his Imperial Fist torn off from his fight with Perdurabo at the time. Let's see, you've got. Please tell me it was in like a terrible fisting accident. <laughs> oh boy, that's that's a real window into your psyche. Let's see. Um, you've also got oh gosh, the space wolf's name I can't remember. What was the space wolf's name? Uh oh god, I don't remember either. I'm so bad with names, guys. I'm not gonna remember any of these guys, especially like I'm lucky that I remember like Gilman, Kurz, the Lion. Let's see. It was. Uh, 
Oh, gosh. Anyway, so, a couple of space rolls. Well, let's just call him Frank while we uh, try to remember his name. Yeah, we'll remember. But we'll go with Frank for now. So, Frank. Frank showed up with about ten space wolves, and he's very adamant about it being called a pack and not a squad, because most space wolves Because he's like a furry. That. Yeah, quite a bit. Now, the Sigilite, Malkador, the Emperor's right-hand man, had, and Rust, the Primarch of the Space Wolves, had sent out these little kill teams to the side of all the Primarchs that they knew of that were still loyal. Because if any of them fell, the Space Wolves were to, well, cut to that thread. And, and make them sleep upon the red sand. And this was actually, like, one of the most badass lines in the book, where they're like, oh, we could totally make it so that, like, you know, you know you're stuck in a room with us. And then Gillen looks at them, and he's just like, I could, like, I could just imagine how it looked. Like, he's Fafner looking... Fafner Bloodbruder. Fafner, yes! Fafner Bloodbruder, that was his name. Because he was like, my dear Fafner, then you would be stuck in a room with, with me. me. Oh, I love, I love it when people say that. I love that shit. That's the best shit. But anyways. Gilliman's full of those little kind of sideways comments. Gilliman <laughs> is like, oh man, he's he's such a cool character. Like, yep. I, like, I actually compared him to Optimus Prime for a very long time, even though now I kind of realize that uh, Vulcan is a little bit more Optimus Prime. Mm. And... Not really. I well, still think no, Gilliman. Gilliman's kind of, I kind of like relate him to Ultra Magnus a little bit more. Because Ultra Magnus is a very by-the-book guy. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't like to deviate from anything. He's, he's very like, is it in the rule book? No? Then don't do it. <laughs> you know, and I just kind when of see. When the codex is just right. When the codex is just right. Mmm. <laughs> so... Like, yeah, I... Sure, sure. Oh, geez. The dog has located something. Yeah, he's just being a rat. Anyway, so next, basically, what we've got is the lion shows up with a fleet that he says could, you know, split Ultramar in half, which, granted, is about 50,000... Shut up. Shush. He's sitting on the floor and barking at me. Now, the Dark Angels have about 50,000 of their number with them, which is about half the Legion, yes. But, and granted, most of the Ultramarine's Legion is devastated after Cal from the war that followed. However, they set a lot of defenses in space and the entire system was fortified. I doubt the... I mean, both Legions would have died, but I doubt they would have had a very unbloodied battle. Which is what they make it sound like. But, the Lion shows up. And when he does, Gilliman's just like, well, shit. I wanted any brother, any loyal... Any loyal brother... Shush. To I think that Chase would be a loyal brother. Oh, definitely. He's the noisiest. Devious. The noisiest of all the brothers. He would um, stick them on the throne of Imperium Secundus because he didn't want to be like Horus and just take the power for himself, which, you know, granted, makes sense. Yeah, it really, it really does. Like, if... It, it, and I, I kind of, like, appreciate the fact that, like... You know, he thought of that because usually like because I, I didn't think of that. Like if I was in the situation that he was in, I probably would have like ended up taking the throne myself and then like causing a real big like kind of not necessarily scandal, but a stink, you know, a stink. And then when the lion gets there, Gilman's just like, really, anyone but the lion, come on. Because the lion, he, he was he he's like from the Jungle Book. He's he, the older brother. He's, he was supposed to. And here's the thing. When the Primarchs were created by the Emperor, each one had a specific purpose. Gilliman was supposed to oversee the Imperium as a whole from the books. He was supposed to be the one who led all of the tax collecting, all that other stuff. Magnus was supposed to be the new Emperor. He was the most personable, all that other stuff. The Lion was supposed to be the actual War Master. He actually was more tactically superior to Horus than any of the others. However, he had no people skills. And thus, he could not be the War Master. Well, I mean, it's understandable. He spent the first, you know, decade or so of his life running around in the forest, killing giant, evil, demonic monsters from space. But, you know, what are you going to do? Honestly, I would... I, that it, He shouldn't even really be talking... Well, he is a kind of paternatural, like, humanoid god... So yeah, he could learn. So to he speak could learn how to speak about, English. Uh, he could learn in about twenty seconds. Yeah, even though like usually when uh, there are, usually when there are like wild 
wild children, like, you know, they, they never learn how to speak English or they don't very well or any language for that matter. It's not just English. It's not just English. You don't just learn English. Well, actually, if you take a look at the Primarchs and some of the other books when they're for fresh out of the capsules that had gotten scattered, they actually know instinctively how to speak the languages of the plants that they're on. So there's not much of a problem. Quite and a, you know. I've got, I've got to, like, I've got to ask. Oh, well, you know what? I'll ask it later. <laughs> so let me just say right now that the Chamberlain, the lady, the old lady, Uten, is my favorite. <laughs> she is like, she's basically like the only person that can really like make Gilliman do anything. Like, well, she's, like basic, she's basically his mom, and it. <laughs> Oh, what's wrong with your your dog is making all sorts of sounds. Yeah, he was chewing on the bone roll. So, like, she's I I just kind of like and yeah in the like I would have just loved it if she turned out to be like you know some sort of like crazy good at battle lady too because <laughs> I just love like the badass old lady trope. Well, you gotta remember she's like two three hundred years old at the time. So so is Yoda. I mean, like, look <laughs> at him. Uh, he was like eight nine hundred years old. See, she should, she should, like, you know, she should, like, you know, reach out more, you know, do, like, have a goal in life, and that is to reach 800 and be awesome and kill people with knives, because that, that's the dream that I have for her. Well, you know, it's funny, because due to various reasons, the book actually ends up having five Primarchs alive on the same world at the same time. Therefore, why it's the word, well, your typical family reunion. Now, with the lion came Kurs, the Primarch of the Night Lords. Ah, yes. The tra it's a traitor legion. Now, the Night Lords actually come from a prison planet. Kurs himself. So, Australia. Yeah. Oh, gosh, now, now I've got to imagine him with an Australian accent. I'm going to do it. He's got to have an Australian accent. Now, guys. There is some confusion here. Some people have thought that the way it was written, that Kurz had already ascended to demon lorddom, and he really hasn't. The claws that they mention are actually part of his armor. Same with the tattered cloak that he has. It's actually still a cloak. It just flutters like wings. It's not actually wings. Um, yeah, I also I also read it as, like, he wasn't anything more than, like, a Primarch at the time, so... He actually never became anything more than a Primarch. He got assassinated right after the heresy. Yeah. No, he, he he because wait, this was right after the heresy, and he's on the no, no, he's no, on no. the line after the heresy's done. After okay, at, and this isn't much of a spoiler if you know anything about forty k, because we all know how this is going to end. But after the emperor kills horse and they flee back to the eye of terror, mm -hmm. they send a couple of assassins out. One of them finds Kurz and slaughters him. Good because Kurz is kind of a huge douche and a whack job Actually, and a whack job. It's more of a whack job than a douche, because he's, you know, driven insane by visions of a dark and terrible future, basically, of Warhammer 40k. And he wants to basically show everyone what it is by making it happen. It's, you know, and I don't feel, I kind of feel a little bad for him at times, because on his prison planet he didn't descend into sadism or anything else like that for its own sake, but because he was trying to stop the planet from being, well, a bunch of insane cannibals and rapists and murderers and all that other stuff but you know as soon as he left with the legion which was made up of people from that planet so you know how well that went uh it kind of descended back in anarchy and he blew the planet up when he came back because he was pissed <laughs> but. oh my gosh that i wish i could do that like you know i go home and like i don't know my sister is like used all of my clothes and my brother's like Eating all my snacks, which they do. They're like, I can't put a candy bar anywhere because they'll eat it. And, like, I'll just blow up the house. Like, that's just what I'll do. I'll light it on fire, like, get some gasoline cans, like a hundred of them, and burn down the house. Because, goddamn, goddamn, Robert, I told you, or Roberte, Roberto, whatever I'm going to call him now. Whatever I'm going to call my brother, I'm going to yell that at him and tell him that this is his fault because he ate my, my, my mounds bar. <laughs> but, like, Kerr's definitely, he's got, like, weird daddy issues, which I think that all the Primarchs really do, because, like, like, he's just, like, there was, there was actually, like, a time where, like, 
he's like really spiteful towards his brothers because he's like, oh, you want all the attention from dad. You're such a child. But I have this feeling that like he's doing it for the exact same reasons. So he's just like a super, well, not only hypocrite. He's but a middle child. Yeah, he's a middle child. He definitely is. He's definitely that middle child. He's one of the 18 middle children. Oh, yeah. uh, I'm sorry, we're not allowed to talk about the lat, the, uh, 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 I want to say 9th and 11th, maybe? No, 9th and 6th, no, 5th, 9th and 18th, I want to say, maybe? I don't There's remember. There's two of them that were never, quote-unquote, found, but they were possibly found. They allude to this in a couple of different books, and maybe that's how Rusk got his name as the executioner. We're not sure. Because every time they bring it up, it's like, oh, we're not allowed to talk about that. Yeah, Even when they're I mean, traitors, they're not allowed to talk about it. It's really weird. Maybe one of them was like Voldemort. I think so. He who shall not be named. <laughs> oh, man. What kind of crossover would that be? That would be interesting. I, I just think those everybody from the Harry Potter universe would just die, though. Yeah, honestly, they probably would die. Especially since there are so many people that are... Ah! So many people that are, like, literally immune to magic and, like, psychic abilities. So... Yeah, like, I'm pretty sure even Voldemort would end up being screwed. So, then we continue on once the, uh, you know, and then a meteor hits the planet, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah. It wasn't exactly a meteor, it was a person, it was actually Vulcan. Yeah, I've actually got a, I've got a note here, it says, it's a bird, it's a plane, no, it's a charred corpse. Pretty much. Now, Vulcan was actually being held by Kurz and tortured to insanity, and uh, escaped by using his hammer, which has a teleporter in it. Legend After he beat the shit out of, of, out of uh, Curse. So, that was quite awesome. Seeing Curse hit in the face a couple of times with a hammer. But he got up. But, so Vulcan shows up and completely insane. He, you know, comes back from death. Because he is one of those rare individuals that is a perpetual. Now, a perpetual is someone like the Emperor. Who, every time you kill them, comes back within a couple of hours or so. Completely, perfectly alive. No matter what. I said, uh, and when I when I saw this comment, well, when I saw this, I actually wrote 911, the corpse is alive. <laughs> Basically. Um, I, I don't know what the police would do. Maybe shoot it a few extra times, but... It would just get back up. Yeah, that would be the problem. Now, the problem here was, well, Vulcan was insane. So, you know, Gilman still was left with just the lion. Now, halfway through this nice big celebratory dinner, however, to announce this stuff... Kurz made a drop on the planet. Yeah, basically what happens here, guys, is, like, Kurz is, like, how do I get down to the goddamn planet? Like, they're going to notice if I just take a drop pod because they have, basically, the shield and all these sensors over the city so that nobody can get in or out without being noticed. Imperial fist tactics all the way. Yes. And so, like, he's like, well, one can't get to the surface, but 400 can. So he goes, he basically fools the uh, the the system into By thinking... the data pad. Yeah, it was really gross. Like, there's so many germs on that. He's probably going to get the tummy virus. But, you know, tummy virus notwithstanding, uh, he... He is the tummy virus. He is. Apparently he's, like, really gross. He has, like, these black teeth and shit, and these black eyes, and his white face. He's just really gross. <laughs> But anyways, so he basically he gets in these pods and then down at the dinner, like Gilliman and the lion are all like, you know, hanging out, broing down, doing what you do when your brother's there, which, you know, not clean the house and the dog is getting in. This dog is a problem. He's eating, he's eating plastic wrap. But anyways... So, you know, what you do when your brothers are around. You bro out, you play some video games. Uh, Psychically invade each other's minds. You know, yeah, that's all. what they did. Because uh, Gulliman, uh, Gilliman had Gulliman. Titus Preto, the current master, well, current acting master of the librarius, check out his mind to make sure he wasn't there for, you know, his well, own he, reasons. Well, he said, like, look, you're going to have to do this, like, super secret. And they were planning to do at the party. To vet him. It wasn't anything yeah. malicious. It was more to make sure, you know. He was yeah. on the up and up. Yeah, they just wanted to make sure that, like, he wasn't thinking anything, like, evil or whatever. And so, like, there's all of a sudden, like, this alarm and everybody's going, oh, shit. And, like, you know, food's being thrown everywhere and silver's being smashed and 
And Dogs like, and cats living together. Align mass insanity. Scale him into open it up because in the drop pods are a good like two thousand of his sons. Yeah. And he had them loaded because you know what if Gilman was you know actually a traitor you know and he can you know Newton eventually was is like Gilman come on don't be a bitch you know you would be doing the same thing if you were standing off the shores of Caliban and he admits to it and you know whatnot. So, but the only problem is, Kurz is in one of those pods, and yep. Gilman almost puts the lion through a wall when he finds out. Yes, that was really <laughs> badass. Oh my gosh, I'd like to. I would like to see that fight, but not really, because like I kind of, I kind of like them as like bros and working together and shit. Yeah, but so the majority of the Ultramarines on the planet and the Dark Angels and Gilman and the Lion all suit up and they go and hunt down Kurz. Oh, which by the way, this actually like. Kind of, like, realize this, guys. So, in the meanwhile, Gilman has Vulcan hidden down in his basement in, like, the cell as, like, this bloody, like, regenerating corpse thing. I mean, it's more like a medical cell. Well, yeah, it's it's a medical cell, but it's, like, you know, it's a quarantine. And, you know, he, he's not telling the lion about that. And the lion, in the meanwhile, has Kurz on the ship. And... He's not telling Gilliman about that. So they're like hiding things from each other, which, yeah. you know, that's not a good thing to do, especially when it it's like, surprise, I brought your Aunt Wilfred with me. Oh, jeez. Fucking Aunt Wilfred. <laughs> Never again. So, and then it descends into complete and utter anarchy as the Gillum, as Gilliman and the lion ended up hunt, hunting him down into the chapel of Remorium and try and kill him. And it's this big titanic fight between the three of them. And, you know, the Night Haunter occurs, actually wires the damn thing with grenades and almost kills the Lion and Gilliman, except that Alexis Pollux and the Iron Warrior Dantioch pull him through the aperture of the Pharos over to a planet halfway across the Segmentum. Uh, and by him, I mean the Lion and Gilliman, saving their lives from the big fiery inferno. Kurz himself does escape, however, and proceeds to go to the residency where Yuton is. Now, Yuton yeah. had sent all of the fragmented legions over to help Gilliman yeah, the lion search for Kurz. She made, like, this really rousing speech to them, and she was just like, look, you're gonna fucking do this. Go make sure my son, I meant my adopted son, I meant Gilliman, is okay. And... Luckily for her, however, because Kurz is there and he ends up cutting off a dude's head and hiding it under the sofa and filling her wine glass with his blood and, you know, all this weird stuff. Um, I really, her, I, I seriously thought that she was, like, this is the point where I thought she was going to pull that, pull, like, I don't know, a knife, yeah, and just, like, kill him. And I, that would have made this book the best book in the universe for me. <laughs> it's still a great book, but, man, if they did that. I would have just, like, stood up from my chair and been like, yes! Go, old lady, go! Now, luckily, Fafner and his pack had stayed by the hearth fire, and they protected her. Most of them actually died, and, you know, Kurz actually broke a few of them in half. But they managed to save her. Now, a couple of minutes later, you know, Kurz is actually hit like a freight train by Gilliman, or by, uh, I'm sorry, by Vulcan, who's still insane, but managed to put on some of Gilliman's armor and grab a huge mace that looks like a hammer. Pile drives him through Legend the window the and Astro starts beating the shit out of him out on the rooftop. And it's very interesting because, well, uh, Kurz keeps stabbing him through the chest with his claws and like crushing his hearts, and Vulcan will just jump back up and smack him in the head again with a mace. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's, like, once we get to the actual final fight between these two, I'm going to, like, just, like, spaz out because I love that fight. And, like, the fight between these guys is so cool. It's always, so, it's so well written. I'll, I'll gush over that later, but. Now, at the same time, Gilliman is able to have Dantioch retune the Pharaoh so the viewing spot is inside the residency rather than the flaming chapel of memoriam. Now, you know. The, there is no way back, technically, that they know of, because it's only a one-way trip, and, you know, they're stuck halfway across the galaxy and whatnot. However, you know, Kurz had threatened Newton, and as soon as Gilman heard that, he walked right over to her and put his hand on her shoulder and said, Are you okay? And then realized he was back on the crack. Now, the lion tried a couple of times to get through as well. However, because his mind is so closed, the Feroz could not 
read his intent and, you know, whatnot, so he couldn't get through. But Gilman put his hand out and said, I need you, brother. We need to take down this bastard, oh. and pulled him through. It was very rousing and, you know, all that other fun stuff. Now, there are two characters that we kind of minorly skated over. This well, was not actually, on three. Accident. Well, I mean... Because they're, kind of, they're kind of, like, all three of them are kind of uh, in their own little, like, subplot, which is very contained up until this up until like the very end so why don't we like actually tell them about the uh the the other uh the other guys whose names i forget we've got two perpetuals and a word bearer now we'll start with john grammaticus one of the most dangerous individuals in the entire universe a mere human who's been around since before world war one keep in mind this is year 3000 or 30,000 yep now this little bastard comes in pretending he's his friend, all persons from Kalth. Um, we'll get to him later from a different book. But he comes in, he sneaks onto the crag, and he's trying to find Vulcan because the inhuman cabal of... Actually, I think there might be an old one or two with them, but some mother-loving stink of Eldar. Eldare, I think you mean. Eldare, yes. And some other inhuman breeds have decided that the way that they are going to get rid of Chaos and the demons is to let them win in this war, and they would burn themselves out, by, and the humans would just have to deal with, you know, dying. Now, John is kind of back and forth on this, because, you know, he's human. He's thinking, you know, I kind of don't want to do this. He wants another way out. Now, another Eldari warlock had appeared to him a little while ago and given him the idea of how to prevent this from happening. So, he has in his possession a weapon of un imaginable power, which is actually a fulgurite of the Emperor's lightning that is basically a shard of his power. Yeah, basically guys, what fulgurite is, is it's it, it's termed as fossilized lightning. Yep. And he is instructed by his Cabal Masters to stick it in Vulcan's, well, give it to a Primarch to stick it in Vulcan's chest to kill him. This is the only way to kill the unkillable Primarch. However, the other Eldare told him to use it himself and to pour all of his power into it to fix Vulcan. And, you know, he doesn't exactly know which one he's going to do just yet. Well, you know, we kind of all know what he's going to do. You're fine. Um, so he gets there, and he is captured a little while in by... The word bearer. Who's... who's um, oh, gosh. Who's actually, like kind of neat he's he's an astartes astartes or however it's astartes, pronounced yeah. astartes i like saying it like that it sounds very very classy very very is it it's like merrick or Neric? yeah or... i think it is Neric. it is definitely Neric. now that i think about it and, and he like is kind of like these these word bearer guys they're all no, like corrupt well, I know, I know, but I'm just talking about, like, oh, them in general. Yes. And uh, from the what Legion I understand, yeah, from what I understand, they're, like, all corrupted, and they turn into, like, these weird monsters that, like, kind of semi-live in the warp and stuff, and... Well, they kind of pimp their flesh out to demons. Oh, okay, so they're sluts. Yeah, basically. They're demonic All right, sluts. they're demon sluts. Yep. Can we call them that from now on? Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. I hate the bastards. All right, so... Uh, the demon sluts. Uh. <laughs> well, Merrick ac- accidentally, well, not really accidentally, but touched the Fulgurite on another planet when John had first grabbed it and had been shown the Emperor's divine light and was now on a, a mission of his own to kill his own Primarch to save his former legion. Yeah, he still so... didn't like the Ultramarines and everybody else, but he wanted to save his legion from being, well, demon sluts. Yeah, so he is basically, he actually tricks a bunch of people from his legion to warp him to McCrag, and basically when he's there, he just shoots them. He, like, up and, like, takes his, like... Brontus pattern sniper bolt. Which I actually kind of like, like, Brontus, which, you know, Brontosaurus. There's actually a caliber of gun... Or caliber of bullet. There's actually a specific kind of ammo called the T-Rex. So I just thought that I'm like, is that a is that a reference? Kind of. That would actually make it hilarious because like they say that the uh, that this this T-Rex ammo can take down a T-Rex, and I guess the Brontus ammo can take down a Brontosaurus. <laughs> and then you've got, or at the least fact two demon sluts. Yeah, takes them down, grabs Grammaticus, who is then saved by Damon Pratanus. 
who is essentially a gun for hire from the Cabal, who's another human who they recruited from the, the uh, blood-soaked sands of Iwo Jima. Um, and he's got a couple of guns on him, two Eldar Shuriken pistols, a uh, short chainsword, a flask with a demon in it. You know, just the usual stuff you bring to a new planet. Yeah, I, I bring that to the beach, dude. Like, yeah, demon in a bottle? Demon in a bottle, yeah. So he ends up saving John. I'm a John. demon in a bottle, baby. <laughs> go, go. Da, da, da. Leaves Narek alive. She goes alive. super mush mouth at the end of that song. Yeah. He left Narek alive, which was probably a bad idea, or a good idea, depending on different things. But, you know, they track down Vulcan, and they're trying to tell him, and they almost got him. And they're like, you know, John's getting yeah, up so to this, him, and he's oh like, God. hey, you know, let me stick this in your chest, you know, I'll help fix you. And no, this is actually... I'm, this is actually right when, like, he's fighting Kurz. No, this is this, this is, is before? Um, before Kurz shows okay. up. Okay. Because then Kurz busts out of nowhere and he's like, "Yo, surprise, give me that motherfuckers!" Thing. And he, it's me. He and Vulcan get into this huge fight. And, oh, and uh, this this fight, this fight is amazing. It is well, actually, so wait, well no. written. You were right. You were right first. Kurz shows up first and fights Damon and John, mm -hmm. and then Vulcan shows up. After that, because um, finds Damon his astral used, hammer, I'm he, gonna call it the glory hammer, well, even though it's not really called he, that. He busts out of the floor, and uh, he and Kurz fight a little bit, and then Damon uses the flask with the demon to send Kurz into the warp, gri gripped by a giant tentacle monster. Yeah, you know where this is going, guys. Oh yeah, poor Kurz. No, no, I bet he <laughs> likes it, the weirdo. <laughs> and then you know, John's about to stick Vulcan in the chest, and then out of nowhere, Narek shoots him and blows his chest and head off with the giant. Um, stalker pattern bolter. Yeah, and the guys, I kind of like it because the guys are like, what did you do? We've got to wait another 15 minutes now. Thank you. <laughs> and then Vulcan gets up and punches him and knocks him out. And then John and Damon have to fight him a little bit. Um, and, you know, whatnot. And then John sticks him in the chest and, you know, kills him. It's actually a really touching scene because, like, you know, it's, it's really, like, like, I have actually, like... Since then, I've actually, you know, read more on Vulcan, and he seems like a—he seems like probably the coolest out of all the Primarchs. Like, if I had to choose one to be my friend, I'd probably pick Vulcan because he's genuinely uh, just a nice guy. He he wants to do what's right, and he wants everybody to be happy in the end. Little does he know, he's in Warhammer 40k. That won't happen. Uh, 30k, whatever. And so he basically like. I so, like, Magnus because Magnus is the best. Magnus is. I don't know much about him. Magnus is probably cool. I'll, 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 I'll agree with your logic. I trust your judgment. But like, as I like, you know, because I've read uh, Promethean Sun now, and I've actually seen more of his character and how he was characterized and all that stuff, and I actually find it like really, really kind of like heart wrenching and sad that he went like this fucking crazy. That like this guy that was so nice and so like basically good just in general he was, was tortured in the worst ways possible yeah by Kurs. and that kind of makes me like really sad and like you know y you can tell that like there is one thing that he does kind of want with his with his like like even through his madness he, he wants one thing and he wants he wants that with a thing is is he wants to die or, you know, at least be released from, like, you know, being... Insane. Insane. And, like, maybe to him, like, there's some sort of logic. Like, he's like, the only way I'm going to escape, like, this is if I truly die. And the uh, the one guy... Who was it that, that offers him the spear and, like... John Grammaticus. John Grammaticus basically is, like, like, is, like, appeals to him. And even though he's fucking crazy, he's still... He still is, like, he can still, he, like, you can tell that it's, like, something that he really, really wants. And it's, like, so sad to me. And, you know, eventually they just, like, he pushes the spear into his chest. And, like, there's, like, this all this lightning and thunder and special effects and whatever. And they... They're both dead. They're both dead, Quote essentially. Unquote. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, Damon grabs John and vamooses before anyone gets there and everyone thinks Narek is the one who killed Vulcan and doesn't believe him about these two immortal humans. But uh, John and John ends up being revived one more time by the Eldari on a craft world and Damon's like, well, you're just a little idiot. They're going to, they gave you one more life to tell you exactly how you're going to spend it. 
Um, let's see. And then you've got the salamanders are finally told their father is there, and you know he's dead. oh boy. And he's down in the crypt in this stasis field, and uh, you know there's a couple of salamanders there sitting vigil, and you know one is looks up and he's like, oh, I think I heard a heartbeat, but you know that's impossible, and doesn't hear another one. But yeah. you know, and then at the last second, the angel shows up. Sanguinius, Primarch of the Blood Angels, and a small, well, not that small, but a contingent of the Blood Angels chapter. Also the hottest, region. apparently. Yeah, sculpted features, big wings, you know, all the fun stuff. All the things a girl wants. You know, yeah. she wants to, like, you know, she wants good face, nice features, good voice, good giant personality. Uh, to be ten feet tall, giant wings. Uh, okay, maybe that's just me, but... <laughs> I, I there's, somebody, there's somebody else. There's somebody else that that probably wants that too. <laughs> and and then, if uh, so, I want to meet her. <laughs> and then you know, Gilman and the Lion are kind of like, well, we can't stand each other. Let's make Sanguinius the new emperor. And then it fades out, and that's the end of the book. Yes, and that, my friends, is Unremembered Empire. And wow, what a great like introduction to the series. In my opinion, you probably couldn't have picked a better book. Uh, like I said before, it is extremely, it is extremely friendly to people that are new to the series, and it's also just a good read if you're, if even if you're not like you know into the game or Warhammer in general, I suggest it just on its own merits. If you're not a sci-fi fan, that's okay. It's still great for anybody who's into any kind of war. It's got plenty of explosions, plenty of political intrigue. It's got all. Yes, it is. There is a lot of political, like, it's actually, there's very little battle, like, you know, full-scale battles in this book. Well, full-scale-wise, no. Yeah, it's mostly but just one-on-one -on -one melee. More, it's more champion fighting, but it's big enough to be monumental. Yeah, so, like, and it, it's just so good, like... Uh, you, this, like, you still get, even though the book does focus on literally just one, one or two planets, really, uh, you do still get the scale of it. You do still understand that there's a lot more out there in the series. And, like, what, uh, what's the author's name again? Because I forgot. Dan, Dan, what Dan does is he, he basically, like, like I was saying in, in, at the top of the episode, uh, what he does is he explains enough so that people that are new can get in without having to have any, like, super prior knowledge or have the wiki open or something, you know, unless they want to. And then, like, people that know the series won't be annoyed by the, uh, by the explanations or, like, the, the, the time that he takes to explain all this stuff. So, really, like, I think that uh, even though I can't really rate this up against any other book besides Promethean Sun right now, I definitely have to say that this is a fantastically written book, a great introduction to the series, and if anybody out there is thinking about, you know, going into the series and, you know, joining the 40k fans, or, or is there anything special that 40k fans are called? Broke. Yes, if you want to join the, uh, if you want to be broke too, uh, you can, you, this is definitely a good place to start. All right, so I guess that like, since we are actually done discussing it, we should do a little bit of a introduction to ourselves, which maybe we should have done that at the top of the episode, but fuck that. I, I am, I don't know. I'm I'm a I'm a trailblazer. I'm a podcast trailblazer, goddammit. And I'm going to make I'm going to this is a free form podcast. Fuck it. So, Will. Yo. Yum. What is your history with 40K and why should we trust you as our expert? Well, I've been in the 40K universe for the better part of a decade and almost a decade and a half. Uh, just from gaming and lore-wise, I have read most of the Horse Heresy books as well as a lot of the other books. And a lot means, oh, holy shit, where did I ever find the time in high school? Um, let's see. I have Apocalypse, well, 8th edition, or 7th edition rules, 
apocalypse-sized versions of every army except for demons. I haven't really gotten around to them. That and I only really like the Zinch demons. You know, Thousand Suns all the way. But let's see. I just I know a lot about the lore and everything else. Let's see, I'm a. On a side note, I am a biology and chemistry dual major with a math minor. I have started my own store called the Teslomancers Emporium. T-E-S-L-O-M-A-N-C-E-R-S Emporium. Not Teslomancers, that's, that's different. Um, and that's for steampunk and everything else. Um, the two of us are also starting our own Etsy shop for commissioned paintings and other models that have already been painted. Yep. So um, I've won a couple of painting competitions and lots of gaming competitions for 40k. Other than that, how about you, Mina? Well, basically what I am is I am, let's see, I, I just turned 24. I, I have been, like I said, at the top of the episode, I've been painting for about two and a half years. And I started mostly as a way to relieve stress during my school and because like, you know, I was getting more stressed. I was stuck inside the whole time because it was up in Massachusetts where I went to school. So, um, you know, I, I took up miniature painting as a way to, you know, keep my hands busy. And then as I painted more and more and made my collection get bigger, I kind of, I kind of realized that, you know, I wanted to know more about the games that I was painting for. I wanted to like, you know, understand the stories behind all of these characters that I was painting. And, you know, when me and Will met, like he, he was very excited and very, he's very excited to impart his knowledge to me. Uh, other than that, uh, Our just, first date consisted of talking a lot about Gilman and Magnus. So as yes. you can see, you know, <laughs> yes, he informed me a lot and that was the best. And the fact that she actually listened and wanted to know more about it, that just, yeah. Wow. Yeah, That's well, awesome. I, I'm somebody that can get, like, real into, like, I don't want to necessarily say fandom, but series. Like, I can get really into those, and I think that 40K is something that I can really sink my teeth into, because it is so dense, and so, it, it's it's almost as old as, uh, how old is it? It's, like, 30? Yeah, about that. Yeah, so it's, like, 30 years old by now, maybe even a little bit older, and... Uh, oh, actually, I can tell you right now. Yeah, so it's, okay, you look that up, but I just feel like, you know, after, since there's all that lore and all those kind of, like, characters and stuff like that, it's it's probably comparable to the Star Wars universe when it comes to size and density. Uh, and when it comes to size and density, it blows both Star Wars and Star Trek combined, but, you know, Yeah, well, I, like, even though I'm not a huge Star Trek person, I did, I have always gotten the impression that it was much smaller than, uh... And it wasn't is relatively small despite being a space opera. Or... It's not necessarily small. I mean, I'm a huge Star Wars and Star Trek fan. It's not really necessarily small. It's just Warhammer is that much bigger. I mean, yeah, I think they both take scale. They're both on the galactic scale, or is well, or is Warhammer universal? Well, Star Trek is technically on a universal, while Warhammer is on a galactic, but. It's Star Trek just, it isn't as big. With Warhammer, it's also got the ability to have multiple authors all working at the same time. Yeah, like, which I think is really cool, because they have, like, this, they, it's almost like a, in, like, fandom and stuff, we have these things called Round Robins, where, uh, at least if I remember correctly, the... Oh. Rogue Trader came out, which was the first Warhammer thing, really, in about 1987. Holy crap. That is, that's, yeah, like, I'm actually looking at the, uh, actually, like, look at these. Oh, they're so cute, actually. Like, the old Space Marines, before they got, like, the little frowny helmet. Like, I think, the, I think Space Marines are actually pretty adorable, just the way they look. They're, like, obviously, like, I know that they're chunky like this for a reason, and that was originally because of, uh, because of the limits of miniature making. And something just fell. I think your house is haunted. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. But, uh, so, like, yeah, I'm looking right here. This is a white dwarf, uh, thing, and they have, like, little, they have, like, little examples of every, of every space marine. Well, not every space marine they've ever done. That would be a very thick book, but 
it's just showing you like different examples. And honestly, I think like they're, they're kind of chunky and they're kind of adorable and in a weird kind of way. Like, you know, you think like they're the kind of guy that you're like, Oh, they think they're real tough. Look at you. Aren't you cute? Even though they probably rip your face off for that. Uh, depending on who they are. I mean, space means transhuman dread and whatnot, so you probably wouldn't say that, but, you know, whatever. If, if I had one right in front of me, I wouldn't say that, but behind their back, I would be like, look at that guy, he's adorable. It's like a big, stupid golden retriever, because that's the way they all hit me. Like, <laughs> like, just, like, they're probably, like, I know that they're supposed to be pretty smart, but, like, something tells me they're not that smart. Oh, no, they're extremely smart. Well, I know they're supposed to basically be like Master Chief, but done over and over and over again. Like literally, Master well, Chief smarter. is just an Astartes. No, he's not. He's nowhere close. That's a different argument from a different day with a different person. But no, they're not even close. I roughly just well, yeah. I mean, like space basically, are way better. yeah. Space Marines are like Spartans to a crazier degree, even though they're roughly the same size. And Space Marines, mm, Space Marines taller. Are space they? Marines about three meters tall. That's about. What, eight, nine, nine feet? Nine feet. Okay, because I'm pretty sure Master Chief's like 7.5 to 8. Yeah. Depending on if he has his armor on or not. Yeah. Which, honestly, wouldn't that be cool if like... Well, no, it wouldn't... Like, there would be a lot of problems. I don't want to think about the legal battle this would be, but um, like if... Uh, if... Or, well, it's 343 now, but if they put in, like, a reference to 40k or maybe even alluded it to being, like... Oh, please, just look at Destiny. The entire thing of the Cabal is all Warhammer 40k. Games Workshop, wake up. You could probably sue them over it. I mean, seriously, I've looked at the the actual guns and everything else in them. I mean, with the Cabal, the guns look like bolters. The armor is basically Space Marines. They've got little mini ones that, you know, have... These gene seeds you got to steal from them in some missions called scions that are basically the scouts. I mean, it's hilarious to be honest. Well, I mean, like you know, honestly, don't tell them that because like they already sue enough people. <laughs> they should just be working on their games. Uh, they've been done with that for a while. But okay, it's just, good. It's hilarious how it's just completely ripped off. <laughs> well, to be honest, like you know, a lot of 40k is ripped off of uh, of Ender's Game and. Uh, well, to begin with, but now it's more... Yeah, like, it's evolved into its own thing, but, like, definitely, like, uh... Oh, shoot. That movie, that bomb, that was really bad. Starship Troopers. <laughs> but Starship Troopers is, like, the original... Is the original for, like, all Space Marine, like, Space Warfare books and other media. So, like, it... Like, you know, it, it owes a lot. Like, I think that, like, if there were... Th there's roughly, like... I kind of group it into around three generations of, like, you know, the space warfare, uh, of space warfare genre. And, of course, you got Ender's Game. I th I don't know if Ender's Game came out, would be first or second generation, because I definitely know Starship Troopers was the founding father of, of the genre. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But anyways, like I was saying, like, you know, Weren't we I introducing forgot. ourselves? Yes, we were. But then we got back onto, then we got back onto the topic of our original thing. Everything. Yes. But anyways, like I was saying, before we got back onto 40K, like, uh, like we're supposed to be, uh, I am, like I said, 24. Uh, we both live in Delaware, the most dull state. It's a, it, Delaware. That's it's a, a highway. In, it's a highway in between D.C. and Virginia, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's really great. Uh, you know, all flat, very hot, no hills, and uh, well, I mean, we have a beach and a and a stupid mall, but that's it. <laughs> and we also have U of D, which is actually kind of cool, but then. Hey. But anyways. Like I was saying, uh, I went to Becker College in Worcester, Massachusetts for video game design and development. So basically, I am a game dev, or, well, I'm trying to be. Uh, I'm still looking for a job. Uh, games Workshop, if you're listening, can I have a job? <laughs> I will rename your books Ridiculous Titles. That's probably not the best way to get a job there. Honestly... Yeah, probably not. I mean, I am I am practicing my uh, my green stuff sculpting though. Oh, I made go. a pretty convincing lion today. Not the character lion, but just the animal lion. All right. So I guess that this 
probably means that we should end. We're about at the hour and four minute mark. So I guess we'll see you guys next week and we'll be back after we're going up to showcase comics in Swarthmore, PA for a game to influence the fate of Conor. Whoa. The campaign to influence games workshop history. Yeah. So I mean, like, does this can can I actually write like write this down that I was an assistant writer on a dark library book, like on my uh, on my resume? Like, can I do that now? Well, you can say you were the co-host on the podcast. I, I, I you're the co-host. I'm the host. <laughs> but anyways, well, there's that. Well, I said co-host because technically we'd both be co-hosts, but you know, no, I'm gonna. You could be the host next week. <laughs> But anyways, so this has been uh, this has been <laughs> extended mayhem 40k, and man, has it been extended. And definitely mayhemish. But anyways, so maybe next week we can have maybe we next week we can even have a guest. That would be fun. But that's all stuff for us to discuss off the podcast because we're really professional and totally not asinine at all. What? <laughs> but anyways, guys, have a great night or day or whatever you're having uh don't let don't let the heresy bite i guess bye bye